I'm Lizanne Flynn. I'm a master healer who holds space for any earthling as they reunite body and soul in their planetary experience. I'm a bridge for relationships between all species so that the heart bond becomes stronger, deeper, and more loving. I serve in the roles of animal communicator, medium, and medical intuitive, and I use the tools of shamanic journeying and soul retrieval to support all earthlings in their recovery from past trauma. I'm certified as a Reiki master teacher and as a canine massage therapist. This is the Animals I View podcast. It is to Nikola Tesla that the following quote is attributed. In a crystal, we have clear evidence of the existence of a formative life principle, and though we cannot understand the life of a crystal, it is nonetheless a living being. He also stated, If you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Which to me just has crystal written all over it, (laughs) right? Energy, frequency, and vibration. You may or may not be someone like me who collects actual crystals, and you also might be someone like me who spies a particular stone or a rock out on a walk, and you pick it up with you to bring home. I think it's a good idea to ask the stone or the rock, would you like to come home with me and to wait for the answers? Chances are good that like animals in the wild, this rock called out to you energetically and I'm hearing sang a song of energy that resonated with your particular vibrational field. Keep in mind that all physical forms on earth have an energetic field, as do you, because you're in physical form on planet Earth, and that based on the particular action of their cells on a continual basis creates a note, if you will, a tone that others can hear if they're meant to hear. You might also feel that tone with your physical form as well. So when animals in the wild appear to us and more accurately allow us to see them, It's because there's a purpose behind their actions. They never do anything without a purpose. So it could be that you're wanting to see an embodiment of their form because the function of that form, for example, a reminder of your strength, such as in seeing a stag, is necessary. It could be that a message from the collective of that animal, such as owl, awaits, so that rather than hear the owl fly, you see them. And it's a message, perhaps, of hunting quietly that which you seek. All parts of the natural world have sentience, and crystals, rocks, and stones are no different in that regard. There are some humans, of course, who perceive that while animals may serve a use for us, rocks and stones are no more than an annoyance in some cases and in other cases of use for building things that we can in turn use without much thought to the life of that stone or pebble or that boulder or that mountain. And, you know, maybe we even pity them for not being able to move at all, or so we perceive. Because after all, for us, it's all about the moving, the actions, the freedom that we have to move in any way that we want. And poor old mountain and stones and rocks that make up the very essence of that mountain, they don't move. They don't get to go anywhere. They just sit there. And maybe even then we think, well, what do they contribute after all? 
how is my life better because of rocks and stones? And I'm hearing from rock and stone and even wee pebble, which as you might imagine, has a bit of a softer voice than boulder does, together, all in a chorus singing. We hold the space together that you inhabit with every part of your life. We fit together like puzzle pieces, and should even one stone be taken out of place, what do you think happens to that structure? They're showing me the Sacsayhuanum site in Peru, near the outskirts of the city of CUSCO, Cusco, whose megalithic architectonic complexes are from the Incan society and whose name, translated in a certain way, may mean marbled falcon. When the Spanish first came upon these structures, they couldn't figure out how their perception of such a heathen peoples could have possibly constructed something so fantastic, and modern scientists marvel at how not even a piece of paper can fit between the stones that are laid on top of each other. Pebble speaks up again, and it's almost in a kind of a who's your daddy now <laughs> way, and I think the point is well taken. We don't think of rock and stone and pebble being able to be used in their raw form to construct something so stable and solid without being blasted apart in the way that we might do now. Certainly, I think the initial rocks and boulders were fitted together, again, much like puzzle pieces. And if you haven't seen the picture yet, I encourage you to use the link in the podcast notes. For me, it's a bit of a visual ASMR to see the myriad sizes of the pieces and how they fit together without all being the same size. It called for a perspective of what do we have that will work and how can we make it work together with everything else we have? So it sounds like a collective awareness of natural resources that, of course, is sadly lacking in our modern human-centric perspective. It was interesting to note that while I was writing the script for this podcast and hearing the songs of energy coming from rock or stone that I also googled, do mountains move, (laughs) so that I could answer the question that I posed of, do mountains move, and what purpose do they serve? Imagine my surprise when the non-coincidental article about mountains swaying to the seismic song of the earth I kid you not, should come up. I just love it when the universe aligns information for me. It is just so dang fun. It just tickles me. I just, it makes me laugh. I just love it. The subtitle of the article states, The Matterhorn is in constant motion, gently swaying back and forth about once every two seconds. The Matterhorn, that great big, huge, (laughs) monolithic, megalithic mountain. So very often we take things like gravity and everything else staying in what we think is its rightful place without really looking at how everything on this planet works in unison with all of its parts to keep everything held together. And that everything slash everyone is moving even the smallest amount in every single moment of every single day. It's a wonder that maybe absent an earthquake, the rocks and stones under our feet that are affected by their own movement of the Earth's tectonic plates don't move in an equal amount so that absent naughty cats, glasses filled with all kinds of liquid don't go flying off the table. Along with the cats themselves, ourselves off of our chairs and sofas at home and out of our cars, 
Again, a whole lot of shaking going on. TBT to Jerry Lee Lewis. Go ahead and look him up if you're not familiar. There's actually a recording of the continuous ambient vibration data on the link that's in the podcast notes. Be sure and click on the link to listen to the recording. It's really cool, and it's sped up to 80 times of what it actually is because it's at such a low vibration, humans wouldn't hear it otherwise. Quoting again from the article itself. It's kind of a true song of the mountain, said Jeffrey Moore, a a geologist at the University of Utah and senior author of the study. He goes on, it's just humming with this energy, and it's very low frequency. We can't feel it. We can't hear it. It's a tone of the earth. A tone, a note of the earth that's echoed by the rocks and the stones that call to you on your hike and like the crystals that call to you in a similar manner. Not surprisingly, researchers found that the summit, the very top of the Matterhorn, moved in a way that was 14 times stronger than at the base of the mountain, which makes sense, right? Because the less land mass the energy moves through it as it remains constant, the less resistance there's going to be to that movement. So it's a balance and partnership of duality, right? Even in a mountain. So that when the base remains stable enough to hold the land mass in place, the more it partners with the energy to give it an outlet at the top. Because mountains are usually shaped like a triangle, which is a very solid shape for the transmission of energy, as it turns out, on this planet. By the same token, I think humans perceive the crystals on our planet of being of use to us, mostly when we're building our own megalith of energy, with megalith being defined as both a large stone singularly, and is also used when describing stones used together to build a large monument, like the one down in Peru. We may initially be attracted to the color of the crystal or their individual shine and want to use them as part of our decor, but that might not be in the crystal's highest and best good, for instance, nor ours, to group them together by color simply because we think it looks pretty. It's important that they play well with each other and not because all the white crystals and the blue crystals and the yellow crystals grouped together is pleasing to the eye. I once had the opportunity to check in with the client's crystals who were grouped in this manner, and there were a fair number of them. It was interesting to note that this client had also had a fair number of these crystals crack upon being placed next to a similarly colored stone. My interpretation is that that's the crystal speaking up loud and clear and choosing to self-destruct in a way rather than stay in its own original form. There was a definite discordant sound among these crystals with the same color because their true essence, their energy, wasn't being honored. So I encouraged the client to cleanse the crystals, first of all, in either sunlight or moonlight, and then to use a pendulum to see which ones wanted to be neighborly with the other ones. In our case, what the crystal is being affected by is no longer the earth herself, as in the Matterhorn, but another relatively massive, by comparison, body of energy with whom they're partnering, which would be us as humans, and thus the only relatively massive part. So that we might think we have crystals that can work well together both for our purpose and the purpose of fitting together with each other, as they once did for the ancient Incas, and yet we might be forgetting the us part, 
because we're relying on what someone else has told us usually are the quote, energetic properties of the crystal in question without trying them on for size first, which would be like buying the latest fad in a type of clothing like low-rise pants, only to find out that our particular body type is not well-suited for low-rise pants. It won't be until you hold that crystal skin-to-skin with your body will you discover whether this is a relationship worth pursuing in the exact same for the crystal. They live to serve. We might not think of them as having the ability to be out of resonance with our own particular energetic vibration because, well, amethyst is good for everybody, right? After all, who doesn't need a good crown chakra lifting these days? I'll give you a for instance. Someone who has great difficulty staying in their body, that's who. Perhaps in their case, black tourmaline or hematite or lava rock might do much more good because while the human would say, gosh, I've just got to get away from all these contrast energies and wounds of the past, so I'll just use amethyst from now on. That defeats the whole purpose of working in partnership with these first three crystals or, say, smoky quartz or snowflake obsidian so that the groundedness and the security will be provided while the inner balance is being restored. Here's a story about that. Working with a client, sharing Reiki, this particular individual brought their amethyst mala with them. And kind of on a whim, I said, why don't you hang on to the amethyst mala and we'll just see whether a little bit of Reiki energy might do a mala good. And as a matter of fact, it most certainly did. It was a very, and not yet repeated, first for me. A little sprite, a little deva, D-E-V-A, a little energy being associated with this amethyst mala, detached itself from the mala, and it took a slightly dragon, half dragon, half fairy type of form. It looked at me and it shook off of its body what looked to be flakes of some sort of dark matter. And my interpretation at the time, and certainly now, is flakes of contrast. In other words, this individual was using their amethyst to work specifically with lightening of the crown chakra, but not understanding that they were also likely putting too much pressure on this amethyst mala to do everything for them, to take care of everything else for them. Again, kind of buying into the story that amethyst is good for everybody. At the end of this Reiki session, we had a conversation about what I had seen, and this individual then said, I think I'm going to put the amethyst mala up for a while, give it a little bit of a rest, and we talked a little bit about what other crystals might be in their highest and best good, and in the crystal's highest and best good to use. And like this individual, my client, we choose a particular crystal because we think they have, quote, automatic powers. And crystals themselves would say in a relatively high note or tone, we recognize the purpose we serve on the planet, and it's clear that you would do well to look a little closer at all of us. What's good for one may not be beneficial for another. And just as we hear and partner with your energetic song well, we can only be a partner. It's up to you to choose. 
I might add a caveat to this last one, because who among us hasn't happened upon a crystal accidentally left at the end of our individual townhome's sidewalk entrance, true story, and perhaps might have had a crystal gifted by someone to us. Crystal carries with it their own innate energy, and at the same time, may also carry along with it the intention of the gifter, so that the gifter might have an intention of playing nice and being loving, and yet they might also have underneath the intention of laying claim to you, since a gift of energy also carries with it that intentional energy as well. Is it possible to clear the intentional energy? Yes, although I would have to say it's my personal preference to choose my own crystals so that I know exactly how my body is responding to the energy of that crystal, or to accept those gifts of crystals from those near and dear to my heart, whose energy I know very well. You may also have found yourself drawn to a particular crystal, not because we admire the color or the size or any other physical attribute, and not because it's the latest and greatest crystal being talked about down at the local metaphysical store. Rather, like the rock or the stone on the pebble on your hike, it's the melody that we hear, a song that when we hold that crystal is just as crystal clear as it could be, pun intended. The bottom line is that it's not until we hear or feel the individual song of the crystal itself that we understand the importance of our relationship with it or how to even go about forming a relationship with it. Maybe we do think, well, it's just another rock or stone from the earth and I already know what energy it has because others have already told me what energy it has. What difference does it make how my body hears that song or even if my body needs to hear that song? In other words, when is a clear quartz crystal not in our highest and best good? Aren't they always used for clearing stuck energy out of places and helping me see more clearly the energy that's around me and of enhancing my mental clarity and providing me with more emotional stability? Not always, and even for a vanilla, if I may say so, crystal such as clear quartz. There may be times when it's the emotional aspect of you that needs more support so that a crystal resonating with the lower chakra, such as citrine, carnelian, or red jasper might be used. What if I'm struggling with a recent breakup and all I want to do is grab my nearest rose quartz so that I can sob and grieve over the situation? I would encourage you to ask during a journey or meditation which crystals would serve my highest and best good at this point in time. When I ask that question, it feels like rose quartz fades a bit into the background and selenite and turquoise come into the picture. Not what you might imagine, right? Selenite would help you rise above and see from a soul path the purpose of this relationship, and turquoise connects heaven and earth, provides security, and brings tranquility to enhance wisdom. Remember, as a living being, the energetic fields of crystals are just as the animals are. Form follows function. You can also use your favorite book on crystals and be guided by the same question. What is the crystal that is in my highest and best good at this point in time? When you're holding the crystal, take just a few minutes. Breathe with that crystal. Ask yourself, what physical sensation is my body feeling when I hold this crystal? 
For instance, when I hold Moldavite, it feels like the top of my head is literally going to blow off. (laughs) When I hold Citrine, I get a really nauseous feeling in my solar plexus and not of the good kind. And so you would say, what feels good to my body is going to be the crystal that wants to work with me. And so in this way, like with the selenite and the turquoise, you can let the universe and the crystals surprise you. It's all what you put into the relationship with the crystal that enhances their natural abilities as they'll bring everything they have to the table. At least that's how crystals see it. Thanks for listening today. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe to this podcast. I offer all new clients a free 15-minute consultation. To schedule online, go to lizanneflynn.com. Come find me on social media, Facebook, Twitterverse, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I encourage you to sign up for my quarterly newsletter on my website, where I also post notices for upcoming events, the starting date of courses in the Animals Eye View Academy, and online psychic fairs. The episodes of this podcast are available on my YouTube channel, complete with subtitles. You'll find that link in my podcast footer and be sure to subscribe. Tune in in two weeks time where the message from our next animal ambassador awaits. This one is from Kestrel and the message has to do with speed. I can't wait. In the coming weeks, we'll be talking about angels and we'll also hear from the animals about AI and the slippery slope they perceive that to be for us. Keep listening, y'all. This has been the Animals Eye View podcast. I'll see you next time.